The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to the 67th episode of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in Los Angeles, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Good. It's been about 10 games of the season. Do you feel like it's set in? Like, do you have your like sea legs? Are you, are you caught up? Are you in basketball condition right now? I'm definitely not in basketball condition, but I need to get in basketball condition because we had the first general manager not giving a vote of confidence to his head coach with David Fisdale. So 10 games into the season, we can go on uh, Bovada Sportsbook and we can check and see what David Fisdale's odds are for being the first coach fired because it sounds like that might happen pretty quickly. Yeah, the Knicks are in midseason form. Um, what a joke. I mean, honestly, it feels like we were talking about this before. Like, I, I don't understand, like, the media, the obsession with the Knicks. I get it. Like, it's fun to watch the train wreck. But, like, how can you expect much different? I know you were high on the Knicks. But when we talk about being high on the Knicks, talking about, like, what, 35 wins? What was, like, your rosy expectation? Yeah, I think I, think I thought if everything went perfect they could like potentially challenge for the eighth spot. But yeah, I was expecting like between 32 and like 37 wins, you know, just like mediocre, just a little bit below average. Right. That's then that was on the high end of expectations. You and Steve Mills were like alone on that Island plotting their plan and planning your playoff trips. But I think I was like everyone else where I thought, I think their over under was 28 or 29 or 30. And that felt about right. I mean, they were added a lot of professional basketball players. This didn't happen to be ones that had ever really won before. So I don't know why you'd think that getting a bunch of non-winning players together somehow tips the scales into into a winner. Yeah, we talked about this. It, it, it's like they're not even they're expected win losses to a nine. They haven't been lucky or unlucky. They're they're arguably the worst team in the NBA, and there are some other teams that have underachieved. You know, I, I think Orlando is right there with them in terms of underachievement. The Spurs, as well, in terms of what their typical expectations are but you know with Orlando that team I think we have seen them be successful before so I'm not 100% sure what's wrong they're they're a terrible shooting team they're shooting like 28% from three but like the Knicks like this is a team where they were like oh we got a bunch of like marginally good players and we have some good young prospects but I I don't know how they ever thought this was going to fit together and I don't know how I ever convinced myself that there was a chance that this would fit together right and you weren't you weren't even high on RJ Barrett like and and he's been I guess what we'd expected. He's averaging 16, six and four, which is solid. It's shooting sparkling 45% from the line, but still he's getting to the line. I think his true shooting percentage is like 46. Though. Yeah. Well, it hurts when you can't shoot free. If you get into the line, which is great. Um, but just like shooting like Lonzo ball while you're there, that's a problem. It's 46% right now. But like one of the problems with the Knicks, and again, this is what we talked about with like kind of roster construction. And I love to say stuff like this, but you could tell right away they have like four dudes on the team whose best position is center and two guys who can really only play center. And then they have all score first point guards, except for like Frank Natilakina, who they love to like kind of build up, but he's just not a very good NBA player at this point. So like, where were they ever going to be successful? Like RJ Barrett, he's never playing with good shooters. It's just never happening. It's like, he, he, hopefully you're on the floor with Wayne Ellington enough that like maybe one time you come off a pick and roll and like you have space to go to the rim. But this roster just doesn't have that. I don't know if they expected like Marcus Morris and Bobby Portis to be like stretch bigs, but that's well, not. And, what- and Morris has done that this year. He's at 42% from three, but you know, historically 36%, like an average above average shooter. I, you know, I think that like sums up the next season. Like Morris is scoring. He's actually leading the team with 18 and a half points a game. But like if Marcus Morris, 30 year old Marcus Morris is your best player, like you're, like, why did you think you were going to make the playoffs? Like, you know. Let's let's riff on the Knicks for a second. Let's say David Fisdale gets fired. And we did talk about this a well, little like, bit. Well, like, do you think he should get fired? Because, I mean, like we say, the expectations, you know, they're below, even, you know, conservatively, 25, 30 wins. Like, they're going to possibly be below that. So they lost to Chicago last night, right? And Chicago has also, in my opinion, like similarly underperformed. 
And again, Jim Boylan, like uh, that team is constructed better, but it's very clear that something's missing so far in this season. But I thought it was hilarious that their fans were chanting fire Dolan at the game. (laughs) They do understand that he owns the team, correct? Like he cannot be fired. He's the one man that cannot be fired in the Knicks organization. Do you think they get that? No, he's such an easy scapegoat because he's kind of a clown. Um, he's kind of a clown. Right? And he's like, he's in a band and he looks weird. He has a bad hair dye, it looks like to me. Um, he's kind of a goofball, but I don't think he's the main problem with the Knicks. I know you tend to think organizations like stink from the top down, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I've mentioned this anecdote before, but I think it's true. Chris Mannix, who, who I like, I think he's a good analyst. Um, you know, he was on this one podcast. I heard him. He was complaining about James Dolan, as everyone is prone to do, and talking about, oh, Dolan lets the inmates run the asylum. What a terrible job as an owner. You can't do that. At the time, it was Phil Jackson. And and then literally, the same podcast, 15, 20 minutes later, he talks about Peter Holt of the Spurs and how great of an owner he is and why. Because he lets the basketball people do basketball decisions. It's like the exact same thing, except they just happen to trust the wrong basketball people, I guess. But at the time, Phil Jackson was hired. Did anyone have a better resume as like a basketball coach in mind than Phil Jackson? Well, I think there were definitely some, not to like rewrite history here, but I think there were definitely some concerns in terms of Phil Jackson's ability to evaluate talent, especially like when, you know, not for nothing, but like the guy had Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal and Scottie Pippen and Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I I understand that. And it's a different, it's a different job, but like, why could we be optimistic about Steve Kerr as a coach and not be optimistic about Phil Jackson as an executive? And to me, it's, it seems like a natural transition. It's just that he, I, you know, he clearly was past his you know, prime and didn't evolve. And, and we get all of that now. Right. He wasn't right for the job at that particular time. And that happens, you know, I think that happens. I mean, the Spurs got over, look, let's be totally realistic about the Spurs here. Like as great as Greg Popovich is and as great as R.C. Buford is, Greg Popovich organized his own coup and took over coaching the team at a perfect time. They end up with Tim Duncan along with David Robinson because they tanked the year before after an injury. They win the title and they really never look back. This may be the first season that they missed the playoffs under Greg Popovich, but like there's a lot of luck involved in what happened in San Antonio as well. You just they, they essentially lucked into a top 15 player of all time, and the Knicks haven't had that type of guy on their team since James Dolan has run the organization. No, and, and it's but at the same time, like, okay, so the Phil Jackson thing, that was a whiff. You know, you hired an old guy, a past his prime. Um, the current sort of exec, Steve Mills, Scott Perry is his name. They have a pretty reasonable resume, Perry, right? He's not considered like a joke candidate. He seems like he's like a professional executive. And, and I would say too, real quick before you get into this, I want to know if you're saying that like this roster stinks, right? And it should not be on David Fisdale to like fix this particular roster. But like when they missed on all their free agents, because like the Knicks are a joke, like what were these guys supposed to do? I guess, are you just supposed to roll over your cap space? Well, yeah, you should. And and I think that's maybe where you could blame the organization and Mills and Dolan. If they told, gave the order, Hey, we struck out, keep swinging, you know, like it's time you, they should have licked their wounds and, and, pushed back I, I think that's fair and just built around rj barrett that was their mistake i think like sort of like creating this false like watching steve mills press conference he seems like he thinks the team's pretty good yeah i don't understand this is like a bruce allen situation with the redskins where you're like you know what the culture is good and it's like guy you're just getting blown out like you're a joke like the knicks for example you're exactly right in that sense like they could have taken on bad money instead of signing guys to bad money you can trade for bad contracts and get picks with them and you can say like look this is going to be a little bit tough. Instead, they were like, hey, we might want to compete for the eighth or the seventh spot. And then, you know, in a year or two, like maybe one of these guys works for us. And if not, all these, all this money comes off the books. And that is true. They're not in a, they're not in a terrible spot long-term now. They, they've dug themselves out of that. A lot of, the, a lot of short-term money. Um, I think Randall's the longest. Let me ask you a question. I got a trivia question for you. Since Jeff Van Gundy was done as the head coach of the Knicks in 2001, how many full-time head coaches have they had? So that's 18 years. How many oh, full-time? 18 years. Okay. Full-time. So an interim coach would count. 
In, no, no, no interim coach. I'll give you the number with interim coaches afterwards because obviously guys have been fired. But uh, how many? How many? I, you know, I don't. I, I, I am not a Knicks like that. Let me think. So it's eighteen years. Let's say a bad organization would have a new coach every three years, so maybe six coaches. Yeah, nine. One every two <sighs> years. Plus, they've had multiple interim coaches for more than twenty-five games. So eleven. This is Sam Vecini of the Athletic uh, came out with this today, but eleven coaches have coached more than twenty-five games for the Knicks since two thousand one. I mean, that's like, and who's been the best Mike Woodson. I mean, and, and Mike Woodson lucked into being the best because I mean, Mike D'Antoni would have been all right if, if uh, Mello would have played the four, but Woodson got very lucky that they had no other options. And due to injuries, Mello had to play the four. And that was the year they won like 55 games or 58 games or whatever. And that was the only, and they got blown out by the Pacers. But like, this has been a, a very clear failing of the organization and, and Fisdale, like, look, they're 30th in offense, like they're 26th in defense. It's very clear that like Fisdale is is super part of the problem with this team, but it's not his fault that this team doesn't work together. You can't just give a guy like, it's like saying, I just give you, a, you know, 10 square pegs and then I give you a board with 10 round holes and I'm like, make it work. That's my fault, right? Like that's, it's not David Fisdale's fault. No. And so, so that's what I mentioned before. What, what's the solution? Would you fire Fisdale? Would you escape without Fisdale? Uh, Cause you know, the, as you mentioned, the fire Dolan chant is, is nonsensical. So what is, so say if you were hired by Dolan as his conciliary and you, and you say, what can I do to help this team? Um, where does it start? How deep, I mean, of a rebuild do you need in the front office? Would you fire Mills? Would you fire Perry and then fire Fisdale? Or would you just stop at Fisdale? All right. So good questions. Good, very good questions. And I think with the Knicks, you know, like you said, you don't want to pile on the Knicks here because, you know, they're a ratings grab. But like, realistically, like, it's not a fun basketball team to watch. It's not a fun basketball team to talk about. They haven't been relevant in, in years. I think they they have the worst winning percentage of the last 20 years. Shout out to our guy, Kendall Baker at uh, Axios Sports. But it's, I don't know, you know, here, here's my only issue with these types of comments. I don't know what ownership has mandated Mills and Perry to do you know what I'm saying so a lot of people just blame Dolan but like I don't know that it's his problem I would probably keep Fisdale because this season specifically is kind of like a lost year and I would want some I mean it's crazy to say that 11 games in but I would want some level of continuity with my young guys like I'd want RJ Barrett and Frankie Smokes and even Dennis Smith Kevin Knox Mitchell Robinson like I want those guys to play. Like, I don't care about the rest of the veterans on this team. Like they're getting paid a lot of money. Like in my opinion, like I'm trying to find assets and picks to, to deal Wayne Ellington for to deal Taj Gibson to deal, you know, Marcus, Marcus Morris would be a very, very popular guy on the trade market right now, considering how he's already played this year. I, I mean, I agree with you that firing Fisdale now doesn't do much for you. It's sort of like a lost season already. Right. You just, you're just admitting that you have a sunk cost in terms of paying him. And he even said that in his press conference. Like, he gets paid for the next four years anyway. So, first of all, like, why does he have that long of a contract? I thought he said two and a half. Two and a half. It is two and a half. Years. He had a four-year deal. He had a four-year deal. Yeah. So, I think, I, you know, they're really set up, if you look at their cap sheet, Randall for three years, Portis actually has a team option for next year. So maybe he won't be around, but Taj Gibson's two years, Wayne Ellington, two years, which is a trade chip. Peyton's two years. Everything's set up for two years. Right. Um, so I think the, the in their mind, they're like, let's give Fisdale two years and then, you know, he'll be a lame duck coach. And then you can kind of start fresh if you need to. Right. Cause some of it is, is that Fisdale took this job, right? Again, you take jobs. We, we talk about this all the time, like who would want jobs. And obviously people want to take jobs. Like, if they if they fired David Fisdale tonight and asked Mark Jackson to take the job tomorrow, he would take it, even though this situation is currently toxic for coaches. Yeah, well, and also when you talk about the roster, like there's nothing's going to really change by next year. And then you look at like the two years after that, we're talking 2021 summer, you have 70 million in cap room. And then that's like sort of your time where you can like get optimistic about, you know, bringing in a new coach, bringing in a new player uh, or just extending the rebuild if you need to but I, I don't think that's like that appealing to them you know what's so crazy about this and this is why i would wonder like is david fisdale doing this or is management doing this and if if fisdale is just blatantly not paying attention to management then i understand firing him like i get it but like mitchell robinson's playing 17 and a half minutes a game that's too low right alonzo trier 15 minutes a game. i don't particularly like alonzo trier but he's a young guy on a cheap contract you should probably see if he's really good dennis smith 10 minutes a game now i know he's been hurt 
Iggy Berzakis, he's he's not up. He's played three and a half minutes a game. He's only appeared in four games. Like, why are your young guys like Frankie Smokes? There you go, twenty five minutes a game, but it's taken a little while. Like, why is Alfred Payton playing twenty five minutes a game? Why is Mark like other than Julius Randall? Well, well, that's like the sort of like that's why you need to be on the same page in terms of communication with Fizdale being like. Look, if you do go with the young guys and you do lose a lot of games, you're going to keep your job. Don't worry about it. And that's one of the reasons why Philly has been successful with Brett Brown is that, like, they knew that was the plan and they're just trying to figure out, like, all right, when we're ready to flip the switch, who is going to be a part of it? Now, as we've seen, not a, lot, not a lot of guys. But also, like, the Knicks, you know, now that the new tanking rules are what they are, they end up with the third pick this year. You don't get signed. You get R.J. Barrett instead. Maybe that turns out to be very good. But all your guys that are 25 and younger that you're paying money to, those need to be the guys getting the bulk of your minutes. And I understand them saying like, hey, we don't want to tank just yet because we do also want to show the value of Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, Gibson, those guys, because you do want to be able to trade them for somebody. But I just don't like, this feels like a pivot already for them, which I think is a big problem. Well, and we're talking about like, why talk about the Knicks? That You know, they're two and nine. Maybe we expected them to be four and nine, whatever. It's not the end of the world. They kind of did it to themselves by having that stupid press conference. It's almost yeah, it's like so stupid. It's so like dumb. the kid who's not getting attention at home, like burns down the cantina or something, like looking for negative attention. Like, why even draw attention to yourself? But it's like it's like of all the stats that like you would, and again, just advanced stats. They are like I said, they're 29th in points per game. They're 15th in opponents' points per game, but they they don't play particularly fast. They're 26th in pace. They're 23rd in D rating. They're 30th in O rating. They're 30th in simple rating system. They're 30th in expected win yeah, loss. The, and they, the, the 30th in offense is embarrassing. They're just terrible. They're just, the team is terrible. It's a, this is a perfect example of why you put a lot of good players on the team and a lot of big personalities, and you're not just like, oh, man, this is going to work. Because, again, their, their preseason over under on Bavada, I think, was like 26 and a half, right? So it's not like people thought they were going to be really good. I thought they would substantially outperform that. I will totally admit that. And they might, they might like turn it around and win 25, 30 games, but then what's the point? Um, but my question for you is this, like the Knicks, we always hear it, you know, it takes a specific personality to, to thrive in New York. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if Jeff Van Gundy seems like a swinging, you know, Wall Street kind of guy compared to like Derek Fisher, who I guess was like a cool media guy, bombed out. Fizdale's maybe similarly, media loves him, players like him, bombed out possibly. D'Antoni good media guy like people like him didn't didn't he lasted four years though I think. like if you had to put any like basketball czar or coach in charge of this team like whom do you think would succeed and and you then turn forget the roster because the roster is kind of like a blank slate almost i mean if if mills is high if steve mills is doing the hiring on the next coach i would bet a lot of money on whatever Mark Jackson's odds are on Bovada. That would be my guess of who they hire because he's well. And then, and then, who do you hire when Mark Jackson gets fired in, in a year and a half? I, the guys I want to ask you about three specific guys. Okay, I always would hire like a young up and coming assistant. Of course, that's always like the smart move in my opinion. But they're the Knicks. They kind of like to make splashes sometimes. Um, I like Jay Wright from Villanova. I think he would translate well to the NBA. John Beeline, whom you were super high on, has done a good job with Cleveland. Has Villanova peaked? Would Jay Wright feel like jumping to the Knicks now? Doubt it. I think he's get. I think I think he's going to the Sixers, or he's not leaving Villanova. But I mean, maybe I, I don't know. Like, why? What makes you think Jay Wright would be able to succeed? And then, if Jay Wright comes up and he's like, this roster stinks, we lose all the time. What's to make Jay Jay Wright stay? Well, I, I always look when you think about college coaches, I always look, you know, in the NFL, they're like, well, maybe we can get Nick Saban or Lincoln Riley. Like, no, those guys are going to win for the next 20 years. They're fine. Um, I tend to think of Jay Wright. Obviously, he's winning a lot of games in his conference, but, you know, it's not a recruiting hotbed. He's won two titles. It's, it feels very similar to Billy Donovan to me where they're like, we sort of peaked and it's hard to keep that level of success. So if he did want to jump, you know, East Coast guy, I think it would kind of make sense. I'm sure they would throw a lot of money at him if they had it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what makes necessarily Jay Wright so appealing anyway, because one of the things that he's so good at is building culture. Like he was able to recruit at Villanova in the late 2000s, even early 2000s. And then the guys that they ended up winning the title with, like, yes, they had good players. And obviously Jalen Brunson the second time around was a McDonald's All-American. But like the guys that Jay Wright got at Villanova that really, truly flipped the program were like, 
your Scotty Reynoldses, who were top 100 players, or Ryan Archidiakonos, like your Chris Jenkins, is like those guys, Phil Booth, Josh Hart, like they weren't five star guys. Like what he did was he flipped the pro, like the culture of their program and, and how they did things. And they got really, really good fundamentally. And I don't know that Jay is the right guy to kind of do that in the NBA. And let me give you two more names as far as big splashes go. Um, a guy who's also in college making $9 million a year, tough to draw him in. Question is X and O's. John Calipari. And let me give you the pitch. The pitch is he's had so many NBA stars come through. And he tells you behind the scenes quietly, Tyler, P.S., I can bring you Carl Anthony Towns. I can bring you Anthony Davis or somebody like that. Like he's so tied in with these guys that he is the recruiting draw that they thought maybe Fisdale was going to be. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, I don't think he'll do it. Obviously, New Jersey didn't go well the first time around. Kentucky, they basically just gave him a lifetime contract. So I, I don't know. I mean, fresh off the fresh off the loss to where Evanstown or Evansville? Just lost to Evansville. What, uh, what about the Evansville coach? That was my th- no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, not, not Walter McCarty. He's got a not Walter McCarty. But anyway, uh, what last name I want to mention to you is not a coach. Big name, potentially on the rocks with his current job. Um, GM of the stars made the, you know, spreadsheet sexy again, Daryl Morey. Do you think like he would ever jump ship from Houston now and, you know, take on a new challenge? I don't think he's jumping ship from Houston. I think this is a good train. This is like a good transition point because so Eric Gordon's out for four to six weeks, you know, James Harden's been tremendous. He is who he is. He's not shooting the ball. Well, he's averaging 37 points a game. Like, Houston's what seven and three at the moment. So yeah, they're seven and three. They're you know we mentioned um, their pace has jumped up without Chris Paul. I mean they've gone from twenty uh, sixth fastest pace in the league back up to number one. Offense is is still top three. I mean they could score. James Harden can score pretty much in any pace. But their defense is atrocious. Like and obviously their their pace is high, so they give up a lot of points. But their defense is really really bad. I mean it's just not. It, it feels like James Harden and like a bunch of scotch tape, right? I mean it's just like their depth is really weak right now. You know it's it's wild too. Like one of the things I think about. You know we haven't talked about the Wizards a lot on this show the last six months because there hasn't really been a reason to. But like they just cut Daniel House for nothing. He was like a two-way guy for them, and you know Daniel House has actually been like one of the like one of the good signs for the Rockets this year. But yeah, I mean the Rockets, I I could see Daryl Morey getting fired, and I I don't even know if it's performing. You know the China thing we kind of made light of, whatever. Not made media made light of or whatever. People don't think it's a big deal. People have forgotten about it. But if Tillman, what's his last name for Tillman? Tata, Tata, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, if he does some calculations behind the scenes and he, he talks to, you know, he hears that China is willing to jump back in the business with the Rockets. I, I've read, I think it was recently, they said they lost about five ten million million per year in sponsorships with China. The Rockets is, or the NBA? The Rockets. Specifically. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So is Daryl Morey worth that? You know, can he, can he save face with them and claim that he's firing them because of that? I mean, you know, I think the interesting part about this whole Rockets kind of drama is that I always felt, I I don't know if you said this or we talked about somebody saying this, but this Russell Westbrook thing, I I liked it. Like I thought it was a, I thought it was a smart move just because I didn't think they were going to break through with Chris Paul. And when you, you realize you've peaked at a certain point, you have to continually try to get better. So. But I heard a lot of people talk about this trade as if like it was a panic move. Like it's, you know, is like General Custer is Daryl Morey's last stand, right? So if this doesn't work, I think there's a really good chance. And we could, we could see this happen in the midseason. Like what if, they, what if they, you know, right now they've been a little bit lucky. They've outperformed their record a little bit, I think. Because their civil rating system is like, they're like 15th, right? 15th or 14th, even though they're 7-3. But like you could see D'Antoni and... Daryl Morey on the market and why couldn't those guys go somewhere else as a package deal? Cause they have worked really well together as a GM and coach. So I, I think that could happen. Do you not think so? D'Antoni might just say, fuck it. He doesn't want to coach anymore. <laughs> right. Like he might just be like, forget it. I'll go to West Virginia and just play golf all day. But it's just so hard. I think it's so hard for either of them to um, leave James Harden right now. I mean, you know, like you've talked about all the time, like best score in the NBA. I mean, such an impactful player. I think if I think as soon as he starts breaking down, they're going to start. I think Maury is smart enough to jump ship. Then, um, 
I think you're, I, you're talking jump ship like it's going to be his decision. We're talking I about if he's going to get fired. Like, let's say they lose, if they lose in the first round of the playoffs this year, do you think that Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni are both, are both going to be part of the Rockets? I just don't see them losing. I mean, like, you know, the, the roster right now is limited. They need really need size on the wing and, and the, the four. I just think those, are, those aren't, like, impossible fixes. You know, like, you can scotch tape that. Like, Eric Gordon's been playing so much small forward, and he's hurt, and then you think, oh, now they don't have anyone. But, like, he shouldn't be playing small forward. Um, you know, so like they can't find like anyone that can play that role. Um, and I like Daniel House too, but he's he's kind of small too. Um, What's your definition of like a big wing? A big wing? Daniel House is Daniel House is a pretty. He's a they listed as six six. Yeah, it's his true height, six six two fifteen. That's pretty good. I mean, I understand he's not guarding like Kawhi Give and Paul George, Kevin Durant. No, um, I. Uh, I think they're going to do well. I, I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that they're going to make the second round. Maybe that's why I don't think they're going to panic and Maury can have this decision on his own. Is but. that even good enough? Do you think the second round? I'm, I'm being serious. Like you think t- the, the guy is a loose cannon, right? Like Tillman, like he, he's going to shake things up. But the problem is who's going to be better? Because one of the things I've long thought about this Houston roster is like it's built perfectly for Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey, like it's their baby, right? So who are you going to bring in that's going to be able to execute this with the pieces they have? Because that Russell Westbrook contract could be a real freaking anchor pretty soon. Well, no, totally. And you talk about the specifics of that, $38 million this year. It's matching with uh, James Harden, basically. They're both 38, 41, 44, then 47. How about this conspiracy? Did Daryl hire Russell Westbrook to burn the ships because they're like, ah, you can't fire me because you can't get out of this mess? Is, is he? Did he attach Russell Westbrook as an anchor, like he's going down with the ship? I mean, there is not much you can do. That's that's the danger of those like big max money. It's like the John Wall thing. Like, if you crash, you get hurt, or you just lose a step. Forty millions is a pretty heavy anchor. Yeah, it's real, and especially if the salary cap does go down because of the China stuff. Which again, it's that's just wildly speculating at this point. But like the Rockets' ability to add in season. Because I do think we agree. Their, their salary cap, by the way, their payroll, 145, 145, 130, and then 130 in 2022. What, what's, the, what's the hard cap this year? I don't know, actually. But everyone's, everyone's payroll is really high this year. So I don't know what it is. Um, it's not an appealing job, though. I mean, unless you just think that you could tinker. It's an appealing job because you get paid a lot of money. But yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I don't know. You know, and I don't think that Daryl is the guy to fix the Knicks, but I do think that he will at least look at the roster in the right mindset. Like, I, I do struggle, again, with us not being able to know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think this in every sport, right? You don't know what, you know, a baseball general manager tells his manager. You don't know what, like, a football general manager tells his coaches, although I do think football coaches probably have the most autonomy. But, like, we don't know what the Knicks have said. And so, like, my thing is it was very clear they were trying to compete this year. Well, now that's not going to happen. So you, I think they need to hire a guy who's like, all right, look, we're a year or two away. Like, we have some appealing assets to go get some other stuff for us, but we're not going to compete. So I'm not going to load us up with stupid contracts. James Dolan, just take your money because you own the Knicks. You're going to make a lot of money this year, and then we'll try to compete two years down the road or something, you know? Because, like, this isn't even an appealing team to tank with. No. I mean, it's it's like the worst of both worlds where like the young talent's not that good and then the current talent's not that good. Right, like like RJ and Mitchell Robinson, like, and even maybe Kevin Knox, like, okay, like that's an okay three to build around. But like, if they're your best three players in four years, that team's not winning a title. Is that a playoff team with those being your best three players? My fear for the Knicks is like, they're clearly not good enough, but are they bad enough? <laughs> like, because there are like, there are like legitimate veterans on this team. So are you going to sink behind? I think Memphis is, you know, going to sink behind them. I, th- I still think Charlotte and do you think that about Memphis and Charlotte? I mean, they're playing yeah, hard. I think like- so I, I think eventually they're just going to sink. I don't know about Cleveland, Cleveland at four and six. I mean, they really have shocked me. Why don't you, uh, w- let's talk about, let's talk about some of those teams. Cause we, we talked about some teams that have kind of outperformed what we thought, you know, with like Minnesota in the past. Well, but I'll give you, let me give you some candidates. You tell me which team you think is the most real and the most surprising. Why don't you tell me about people that have out, you know, just before we get into the teams, how about stuff that's outpaced your expectations? How about this new Wrangler stuff that we got? That's a good transition. Cause you know, Wrangler, um, 
they make cool jeans for guys who want to look and feel good. And to that end, like the proof is in the pudding. Wrangler actually sent each of us a box of stuff and they really kind of blew our expectations out of the water. It's sort of like the Phoenix Suns of jean companies, right? Like they have all these great new styles that you didn't expect. I think of Wrangler, I think of jeans, but they have all sorts of styles and different kinds of outerwear. Um, what do you have like a personal favorite? Like, cause I, I told you I've been wearing like the button down shirt today. It's one of the most comfortable shirts I've ever owned actually. Yeah. They also sent us like a performance vest. That's really good. It's gotten pretty cold here in Nashville. It got down to like 17 degrees. You don't know about that and the beautiful weather of LA, but it was like a big kind of like a heavier vest that, that goes with just almost any type of clothing you wear. So I've been wearing the vest a lot. Yeah. And I, I was really, that that's the kind of thing I didn't know. And I didn't realize because you think about Wrangler, you think of jeans, they have all that. They have the straight leg, slim fit, tapered, premium washes, all the jeans you want. I mean, you could load up on jeans, but the shirts are, it's probably my favorite shirt that I own in terms of like, just totally comfortable, looks good. Um, it's versatile. I can wear it to a meeting. I can wear it at home. I, you know, I could wear it during a podcast. So um, I really appreciate it. And so if you want to, if proof is in the pudding, as I said, so go to wrangler.com backslash underdog MBA to see if I'm lying or not. I'm not. I promise you. I'll give you your money back if I'm wrong. I promise you this is good stuff. Uh, Wrangler, wear with abandon. Wrangler.com backslash underdog MBA. So what did you have? You had a couple teams that we wanted to talk about that have, you know, we can do underperformed and overperformed too, because it kind of just dives into it. I just do want to throw out one piece of news. Karis LeVert going to see a specialist for uh, ligaments in his hand. Brooklyn's currently four and six, but they do have a roster exemption because of the Wilson Chandler suspension. So they have signed Iman Shumpert off the streets. Uh, We figured he would join a team. I did think Houston was an option, but obviously they lowballed him a little bit. So he is going to occupy that 16th roster spot for now for Brooklyn. But I think Brooklyn is obviously in the line of teams that have been a little bit disappointing and they've obviously had some injury concerns and they have not been at full strength. But bringing in Iman Shumpert to help them on the defensive side of the ball, does that move the needle for you, Zandrick? Well, 26th in defense now. Um, It'll probably help there. I don't know. I agree. It has been one of the most disappointing teams. And it's like sort of like the Kyrie Irving effect, like how good is he going to be? And meanwhile, you look across the, you know, the river or whatever in Boston's eight and one and, and, you know, second in offensive rating and seventh in, in defense. And it's look like they're enjoying themselves a little bit more too. I still believe in Kyrie Irving. I just don't know if this team believes in themselves right now. You've mentioned to me, John Drew Jordan doesn't look like he's awake yet. It's sort of just like, you know, let's let Kyrie score 35 and when we'll go, go home 500. I mean, like I, I don't see a sense of urgency here. I don't really see a team that's really ha- anything ticketed for anything other than the first round exit. If they make it. If, yeah. And we should say that like, there is obviously potential to turn stuff around very quickly. They're, they're four and six, but you know, in Indiana, we talked about being a disappointment and they're seven and four now. So, I, I mean, again, like you can turn it around quickly. The, 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 problem with Brooklyn is that you're right like they just they look like they can't get stops on defense they've been so much better with Jared Allen but they do obviously play DeAndre Jordan you know Kyrie's been spectacular but again you know and I I hate to say things like this because we don't know like we have no idea behind the scenes Jackie McMullen it felt like wrote kind of a hit piece about Kyrie where they were like oh we can't handle his mood swings like he's moody and then you know but it, it does feel like Kyrie goes places and there's just a malaise, if that is a good word to use. Well, the McMullen thing was weird because it wasn't like he was moody. It was just like he was quiet, right? Yeah, it was like, yeah. and by the way, I would love coworkers who are quiet and leave me alone. I, I don't see this like a real problem, but um, he is become an easy punching bag on balls. Yeah, and it's probably not fair to him, but it does look like Kemba, you know, I guess if they played one-on-one, you would take Kyrie Irving, but there is a credible argument that Kemba is a better NBA basketball player than Kyrie. So do, that's a good question. So if, if Kemba was on Brooklyn, you think they would be, like, let's, let's say this is a 500 team. Yeah, I don't know. And do you think they'd be much different? I don't know. It's a good, that's a really good question. I mean, because Boston is uh, definitely more talented than Brooklyn is right now, given. Yeah, you know, and, and I think almost part of it, I would defend Kyrie in this regard. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, Kyrie's gone. And I just kind of alluded to it. The team feels better. They look better playing, you know, more unselfishly, I guess. But 
I think a lot of it comes down to the Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, like growing up, like they're 21, 23. I mean, they're going to get better. Specifically, Brown's had a good year. I mean, like they were probably going to be this, you know, improve with Kyrie too. But it, but it felt like, you know, it, it felt like that Boston, and again, this is a lot of like Bill Simmons speak and like Zach Lowe and Ryan Rossillo and like, we know how those guys feel about Kyrie and every single time they, every single time they talk about Kyrie, they always qualify it with like, he's super fun to watch. It's great on offense. And then they just like destroy him behind the scenes. And they're like, we've heard all these things. And, you know, it does feel a little bit like Boston was like, you know what? We don't want to pay you as much money as we're going to have to and have you kind of grow up around, have our young guys grow up around you, if that makes sense. And I don't know that that was a decision. If, if, if Kyrie had said to Danny Ainge, like, hey, I want to take a max extension, I cannot prove that Danny Ainge would be like, no, I'm not doing that. Well, do you, do you think it was the personality or play style? Because Kyrie like will get assists. Could be, yeah, could he'll be. he'll get six or seven assists a game, but it's not the sort of in the flow of the offense assists. It's more like let me have the ball, and then I know who's going to shoot to get an assist for myself. Almost, yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, that's like the Rondo thing, though. For years in Boston, and, and and even now in LA, everyone's like Rondo. He's so good. Like he's so spectacular. And for a while in Boston, he was just like hurting them on offense because he just was. That was what he was doing. He was like assist hunting. And it's, it's like a weird situation with Kyrie. I do think his attitude is kind of, that's been the rumblings from Boston is that like, he really kind of destroyed that team from the inside out last year. But again, you know, we're not there every day. We, we don't know. It, it's very easy to just like ether a guy on the way out the door. But like, I doubt Brooklyn is a lot better with Kemba instead of Kyrie. And I doubt that Boston is like a ton worse with Kyrie. They might be a little bit worse for sure. Yeah, they're similar players. And I think for Boston, that's a win. You know, even if you say it's even, because, you know, and they haven't, you know, terribly missed Al Horford. I mean, I know they, they have front court issues. I mean, maybe they have, and Aaron Baines has played really well without, you know, Phoenix as part of their resurgence. Um, I don't know. Do you think Boston, like, this is my, I guess, the $64,000 question. Are they an actual threat to make the finals? Yeah, it's really good. I, I think. I think based on what we've seen so far, here's what I'll say about the East. Milwaukee has, again, in my opinion, been the best team in the East through the first 10 games. The Sixers are very, very good. Uh, Boston is very good. I I worry about the Sixers shooting. Same deal as before. But I do think the Sixers have probably been the fourth or fifth best team despite their 7-3 and record. Miami's been really good. I think – I don't know that Boston can beat Milwaukee if they they face each other in the finals but I do think they have the most interesting collection of wings to kind of throw at Giannis so I would say from what we've seen so far I think Boston is definitely a legitimate threat to win the East and again you know that's Romeo Langford it's another you know wing Romeo Langford big game in in Maine the other day 27 points like I'm just saying like Boston does have a very interesting group of guys well let me let me give you this question then as a hypothetical because if you look at Bovada and you want to bet these things, Milwaukee advanced stats love them again. I mean, the, the better than their record. They're number one in advanced ratings, SRS, number one in the NBA. Um, a little bit behind are teams like Boston, Miami, Toronto, Philadelphia, a little lower. Indiana's in the mix, I guess. Like, if I gave you to make the finals, Milwaukee or the field? I'd take the field. You take the field? You I'd think it's that? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I would take Milwaukee in, in any individual series, but you know, it is hard. It's, it's a fun year, actually, because you really can't. I could give you three NBA teams, and I'd probably take the field over the top three picks to win the title. Let's talk about let's let's talk about Milwaukee for a second, because I've said this before. Like, obviously, Chris Middleton is now injured, so we're gonna we're gonna see them for three to four weeks without him. But I mean, Giannis. <laughs> I don't know what to say about the guy, man. Like he is so freaking good. He's getting to the point. You remember when you, you know, when LeBron kind of really peaked and it was like, okay, we just get 28, eight and eight every single night. And it's like, you just don't even register. Right. Right now it's 30, 14 and seven. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the, the way that, and, and like three stocks a game, like one and a half blocks and like basically one and a half steals. It's insane how good this guy is. And I don't know what, you know, it's just so funny to think like, if we saw, okay, let me let me pick a guy out. If who's like a good young wing in the NBA? All right, if Jason Tatum threw up thirty, fifteen, and seven in a game, would it not be the lead on Sports Center? 
I don't know about that, but I know it's your point. I mean, it would be like a huge day. Yeah, and that kind of, you know, I feel like all the stats now are just so out of whack. It's so oh, you've been judge. waiting. You, you're I've, so excited <laughs> to make this point, but it's just, I'm just saying, I just want to throw this out here about Milwaukee. It's good. We get it. I, I am very <laughs> impressed with how they've handled the loss of Malcolm Brogdon because he very clearly is an awesome NBA player. Like, and I, you know, I think they're going to regret paying Bledsoe come playoff time. And it's, I, maybe there was an argument to let Middleton walk and keep Brogdon. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think, I think in hindsight, hindsight's 2020, but Brogdon instead of Bledsoe, you'd pick this team to win the title, right? Man, I, I think they would be right there. I still think, you know, Paul George is going to be back Thursday night. I still think the Clippers are, are the odds on favorite and, and the Lakers have been awesome. I mean, those two teams in terms of like expectations, I would say they've, they've even blown up my expectations. You know, we've talked about teams that have overperformed. I think the Lakers have overperformed as well, but Milwaukee, it's just, I, I'm just stunned by how good Giannis is already. And I know he won MVP last year, so it's so crazy to say that, but it just feels like we're watching a guy who, you know, I think we both ranked him like sixth or seventh as the best seventh best player in the NBA. And I was very adamant that Harden was better. And in terms of watching those two guys this year, I mean, I'd rather have Giannis, even with what James Harden's doing. It's it's an, it's amazing to me what Giannis is like baseline for a game is right now. Yeah, but that's what I was talking about. You know, the, what you refer to as like my grumpy old man take. Um, I don't as many points as they're scoring and as gaudy as the stat lines are like i don't really enjoy opening up the you know the paper i don't do that anymore <laughs> not got a real old man getting the paper shuffling out getting my sunday paper uh opening the box score reading family circus and then seeing that um you know oh luka Doncic's 40 and 20 and you know yana's 50 and 20 it's just like it seems too easy to score now i i just I you know and you look at the numbers and it, and it's not like a it's cyclical in this sense like I'm looking at the basketballreference.com in the 80 early 80s it was similar it was scoring about 110 points a game with a similar pace to now but obviously more field goal more field goal attempts back then cuz they didn't shoot as many threes but yeah right the efficiency is much better now and um I guess that's the point. And I grew up in the nineties when basketball was, was ugliest, I guess you would say with like the slowest pace and teams were scoring, you know, in the mid nineties, a game, but it felt like, here's my problem with it. At least then it felt like scoring was a feat, you know, like it felt like you did something good. It wasn't expected that you would hit a shot. Um, and, and, you know, you'd hit about half the shots or whatever, but like, I, I kind of dawned on me, I was watching, um, we were watching something else on TV. You know, I don't have control of the remote totally. This is us probably. Nice <laughs> yeah. family wholesome show. But they have all these like advanced stats now and they have like expected um, win percentage, I guess. I don't know what the ex- exact stat is. Um, game, you know, minute by minute and shot by shot. Um, I forgot the teams. Let's just say it was Houston and Utah, for example. And Houston was down by one, you know, with like a minute or two left. And they had the ball. And Houston was expected win percentage, whatever it was on ESPN, 52%. And then they made a a two-pointer. Take the lead. Their expected win percentage went down to 48%. Because the other team had the ball now, and you're expected to score, according to stats, more than one point per possession, and blah, blah. And it went back and forth like that for a while, where then Utah had the ball, down one. They make a shot. Their expected win total goes down. And it's just like, that doesn't feel right to me. It It shouldn't feel that like... You know, like it's that easy to score that it's expected to score, literally expected by this like advanced stat algorithm. I mean, the, I mean, the average points per game in the NBA this year, I think so far it's, it's like 110 and a half, like one, 110.4. And it's funny, there's only two teams averaging less than 100 points. And one of those teams is the Knicks. They're averaging 99 and a half, not surprising. And then the other team is Orlando and they're averaging 98 points. And that's one of the reasons why they've been so bad. But I don't know. I'm not going to, I might title this episode like grumpy or old men or something. Cause like, I, it just, it, it, basketball is like a very aesthetically pleasing game. And I, I, I totally understand. Like it's very fun. I think when you witness like a, a, a change in the fabric of something, but it also kind of, I don't know. It's like, I, I feel that about, uh, you know, college football too. I'd rather watch, you know, I don't like watching the big 12 when it's 50 to 40. I I don't, I I think like, (laughs) all right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's the most blasphemous statement of all time. Like, would you have rather watched? Okay. This is a perfect example. LSU, Alabama on Saturday, right? 46 to 40, super fun game. Guys are making crazy plays, 25 pros on the field or whatever. 
Game of the Century, 2011, the game was like 9 nothing when they were 1-2 and two again. Well, and, there was one game that was like 6-3 to three or something. I, honestly, right, but I'm saying, was that game better? No way. Yes, this game was yes. so much more fun than that. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you, is it better played? I'm just arguing. No, I'm, like, I'm saying it's more fun to watch. It's like, what? Are you serious? You want to watch <laughs> 10 punts a game? You, man, you're. No, okay, let me give you an example. Speaking of network TV, do you ever watch like America Ninja Warrior? I mean, I've, I've seen it. Yes. Okay. I, I barely watch it, but you know what I'm talking about or whatever. Any of those like wipeout type shows where they run an obstacle course and they try to do it. If 90% of the people who did it won the obstacle course, it would be very hard to watch that show. It'd be so boring. Everyone does what is expected. You need like one out of 10 people to do it. And then it feels like in a feat. Or if you're watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like the first guy who won that, what a big deal. If 80% of the people won it, I wouldn't watch the show. And I feel like the expected scoring is it's so expected. And it's become like in the NFL too, like, like, hey, you have to plan so much. Like, you know, you're not going to stop Russell Wilson from getting a field goal here. It's so easy to score. Um, I don't like it. I, I think there's a compromise, of course, between like the three to nothing game and the 40 to 30 game or whatever. But I think in the NBA, there's is one as well. Like, I don't like watching the 110 to 130 to 120 games. I it's don't. like very odd to watch a team like the Wizards, who are very bad, be like ninth in the NBA in scoring because it's like these, they, they're just not a very talented team and they can't defend, but they can, everybody can score. I, I understand that. I don't think it's, a yeah. And, and I, and I'm not like grumpy old man in the sense that like defense was so much better back in my day. Like, defense efforts there, they're, they're, they're just, I guess my problem also too is just like their ex- teams are smarter now. Front offices are smarter now. They're exploiting sort of, I think, flaws in the game. I think, you know, the three point shot is too valuable. I think free throws are too valuable. Um, mostly the three point shot because free throws are not actually that up. It's, it's the threes that, that are the difference. It's interesting, right? Because we've seen college basketball adapt over the last couple of years. They moved the line back once and then they moved it back again. So, you know, I don't know that the NBA will do something like that because, again, you don't want to necessarily like, I don't know, change the fabric of the game, if you will. But the three-point line was a, a relatively late ad anyway in, in terms of modern I basketball. Mean, three, three points has doubled in the last 10 years. I mean, that's a, such a seismic shift that the league hasn't caught up I got with. A, I got a question for you. Would you rather have a, add a four-point line or move the three-point line like two feet back? Mm, whenever I suggest this, that I get like eye rolls, but... I would like to expand the core and move the three-point line back so it's even. Like, I just don't understand why the corner corner threes are shorter. Yeah, and I've been told that's really hard to do and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not going to expand the court. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the part that... But I I would get rid of the corner three maybe or something. I just think... Yeah, like maybe maybe that shot's worth two and above the break threes are worth three. It'd be quite interesting to see how that would happen. I don't think that'll ever happen. It's it's the same thing like where everyone says... And in terms of the four-point shot, I would say this. I would say half-court shot should be four. Why not? I just think it would make it more fun at end of game scenario, like a Hail Mary at the end of the game. I do think that the one thing that people forget about, and this is this is one hilarious argument in baseball, and like people talk about this all the time, that like shifting and the juiced ball and all that stuff is like ruining the fan experience because it's either a home run or it's a strikeout or it's just an out, right? Whatever. But with basketball, like there are some interesting things that you could do to make the game harder to like think around if you will like because if you moved it back and you you had a four-point line like guys would try to exploit that right that's just what smart people do and that's what you want you want smart people to play the game as perfectly as it's supposed to be played but nobody's going to solve basketball the game should be math proof you know like it should be fair and and it's like it's sort of this idea that like that's the way it is the three-point line because that's the way it is like not really it was a few decades old and and it's not like these games that came from like the mountaintop, like some random dude invented it and there's flaws in the game. Just the same as like, if I invented a game, you might be able to f- poke a few holes. And, in it. and I definitely think that your argument, and, and that was, that was kind of my, actually my point was that like basketball, you can change it to make the game better. Now I don't, I don't want to do something like insane, like, Oh, now it's four on four, you know, like, or now it's six on six. Like, let's get another defender out there. Like, I don't want to do anything crazy like that. But yeah, I think it's worth looking at like, Maybe with the way pace is now, like maybe the shot clock should be less. When I was a kid, I used to play dice, basketball with dice, toys and dice. It's very nerdy. I would expect, I would expect that. <laughs> and by, by, as a kid, I mean about a week ago. Um, I, and one of the rules, it was very simple, rudimentary. You have one die, really. And if, you, if you're shooting a two, you had to get a four, five, or six to make it. If you're shooting a three, you had to get a five or six to make it. 
and you'd say, wow, well, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, expected point percentage and points per possession, but I'm like, that's even, you know, you get three points for a shot. You make a third of the time you get two points for a shot. You make half the time. Right. And, and that's it, not what this is anymore. Right. Like that's what basketball should be. And I think they need to tweak it until they you know, line up with my perfect vision of dice basketball. Unfortunately, I highly doubt that any of these things are going to come And We got so far off track. We're going to, we were going to talk about how great John Beeline is. And instead you got on your soapbox about how <laughs> the NBA was better in 1954 when it was like George Mikan against a bunch I, of like, I don't think it's better. I, I think it's better now. It's, it's sort of like, it's been solved though. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like the extra point kickers are better now. Let's make it harder. It's a very, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I don't, I don't agree that basketball has been solved. I think that's, it's a very free flowing game. And I, but I do think the rise of a guy like, and again, like it always comes back to this, but you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to, to think about like if Jordan or Kobe, like actually played in this specific era. Right. Well, that, that's what I hate. That's another thing I hate about it too. Cranky old man. But like, I, I'm going to hear all the, I swear. I, I know I'm going to hear it in the next couple of months. Luka Doncic is better than Larry Bird because look at his points per possession and his true shooting. And it's like, and Larry Bird's maybe a bad example, but Kobe's a good one. And, and Allen Iverson is like, these guys were not taught true shooting percentage. Right. My, my, my point on that wasn't necessarily that my point was like, when you get a guy like LeBron, you can play differently. Right. So like, I'm not going to say that they invented small ball because they certainly didn't like seven seconds or less with Phoenix in 2007. Like they played around Amari Stoudemire, you know, they had Steve Nash and obviously the, Orlando Magic played five, four around Dwight Howard when they had to in, in the playoffs, and Turk Lou was their point guard for a while. But, like, you know, really, teams started to watch, like, okay, if we have a bigger wing who can handle the ball, like teams have been doing for years, right? Like Jordan did it, Kobe did it, like teams did that stuff. But they were like, this actually makes us much more valuable on the offensive side of the ball, so you're able to do more things. And that's why I don't think this is solved yet, because I think guys are going to find better ways to, like, employ certain players. But, yeah, when you get guys who are, like, bigger and more skilled like it's just this is the the nature of the game right like this is the natural evolution of basketball is it not no it's true but like i think you have to you know bounce back against it like you know they're not even actually shooting that much better from three it's about the same yeah it's just like they're shooting more part of that though is think about this right so reggie miller like he was allowed to take as many threes as he wants i'm sure like within rhythm but like or within reason excuse me but like if James Harden proved himself to be a 34% three-point shooter in 1993, I guarantee you he wasn't shooting eight, even eight threes a game. No, and it, it shows you. Like, and again, like just to reiterate, like I, I think it's smart. Like These are definitely smart. And that's why I think sports in general, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, are so slow to change is because there's so much of that. Like, that's the way we do it, you know? Like, And then the the old days like the the coaches used to be former players you have been you know operating like the unwritten rules that with this is how we play for the last 80 years and i do think it took like the internet and you know advanced stats and to finally break the mold and baseball really gets all the credit for it being like look guys like you're doing this improperly like you're not like you're a bunch of dummies really and like you know like we've solved your game for you and baseball, you know, baseball is that I, I I think a little bit more of a crossroads because they they really are. It's not like totally solved, but no, but like, isn't it true? Like they, I, I stopped following baseball that much, but like they, you know, the GMs and like the statisticians basically tell the managers what to do. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's like a total mo- most teams. I would say like their lineups and like they're probably not calling down in game decisions as much as you think. They may they may be doing it a little bit. They I heard the Dodgers do that, and I'll tell you, John Harbaugh, who's done well for the Ravens they said in terms of game management he's gone with the advanced stats every single time this year for Baltimore and I don't look at that and say uh, he's making the wrong decision that's absolutely the right decision backed up by math I mean it's not like I'm not against it but it changes the game it, it's like really funny and I don't know I don't remember if we had this discussion or not and I still was trying to find the math on this but with San Francisco and Seattle I'm like we're like way off topic so let's just keep let's just lean into it like San Francisco and Seattle on Monday night right because of San Francisco having a two game lead in the division, there was like this argument that they should not have tried to win the game when they got the ball back with like a minute and 55 to go in overtime. And they should have just run the ball. And it's like, look, if you gain a big, you gain a ton on, on, a, on the first run. Okay. Like run your offense. But if not, just kneel, take the tie because then your probability of winning the division is, is much higher than if you lose. 
And it's like that type of thinking just doesn't really exist in the NFL, right? Because that's probably the league that's the most further along in terms of analytics, or, inter- or the not yeah, as far hard. It's just the hardest too, because there's more players and you don't really understand it necessarily. And even the advanced stats for bat- for football, I think, are the worst for that reason. It's not like they're dumb, or it's just like it's hard to understand. Let me give you let me give you a, a crazy stat, okay? Of the top nine three point shooters based on attempts in the NBA currently. Four of the nine guys are not shooting 35% from three in terms of, I mean, that's, that's the difference in like why you're saying, Hey, the shooting is actually the same. It's just that the distribution in terms of shooters is much different. And I mean, and, and that's what I bump again. Like I love James. I, I don't love James Harden. I hate James Harden as a player, but he's exceptionally effective. And it just bugs me, like bothers my brain. And we've seen it like multiple times a season where he shoots like three for 20 and actually had a good game shooting the ball just because it like and it doesn't feel like that should be possible right and that's the part of this that's crazy it's like how is James Harden so effective and now we're seeing it and again this is this is like we've talked about this Luca Trey Young thing a lot but this is why Luca made more sense for Dallas because this is the type of guy they wanted like Luca is is going to play the James Harden role but he's going to be bigger he's probably not going to be quite as good at it because James Harden is 30 and Luca's 20 who knows what Luca's going to be in 10 years but we're already watching this kid at 20 years old, you know, be this huge, like ball dominant, like get to the free throw line, take a ton of threes, like have this massive volume. That's what Dallas wanted. It's harder to do that with a guy like Trey Young. And that's where you start to see the analytical side of this go in. It's like, hey, we want a guy that can take an unbelievable like minutes load and usage load and, and build around that guy. And that's going to be how we play our team out. And I don't know that you would have seen that, you know, even five years ago. I mean, Luca. I mean, we maybe buried the lead. I mean, we everyone's been harping on it. Twenty eight, ten, and nine. You know, uh, he's amazing. <laughs> he's twenty years old. Him and Trey Young are both ridiculous. Like they're, but I mean, because they're always going to be linked because they were traded for each other. But, but I just hate like looking at these numbers with a grain of salt, just being like, ah. And even he had said it's easier than he expected to score in the NBA. And and I don't know if you saw Nick Stauskas is in Europe right now, saying it's much harder to score there. Um. He's not exactly, he wasn't lighting up the NBA, but you know, it's just, I don't want the NBA to be easy to score in. I think that's my, my grumpy old man take. I mean, Luca, like the thing with Luca is he's shooting like 50% from, he's shooting like 62% from two, you know, like he's, he's still shooting, like he's shooting 32% from three, but he's still shooting like almost 50% from the field on a ridiculous number of field goal attempts. I don't know that he's in the top five in field goal attempts. Well, we might not have time to get into it, but we talked about, he's played like a top, what, five player this year top 10 player i would say the two if you ask me to say like who's been the most surprising to you in terms of what they've been able to do this year damian lillard has been spectacular right like if you portland's had some bad luck but i wanted to talk a little bit about dame because he's been so damn good but i would say that siakam luca andrew wiggins and trey young like those four guys like I had no idea that there was another level and, and Wiggins, I told you, I, I don't want to get into because we've seen kind of flashes from them before, but the other three guys like Luca, Trey Young and Pascal Siakam, like it's been wild how good those guys have been and how good their teams have been because of them. Like obviously Atlanta's four and six, but Trey missed some games, but like those three dudes have been like easily top 15 players. Right. And would you have had any of those guys in your top 15 if we ranked them before the season? Would you have had any of those guys in like the top 25 maybe? And I, you know, I, yeah, I, I, and it's, it's legitimate. I mean, like, you know, the numbers are, you know, it's, it's 10 games feels like, oh, small sample size, whatever. It's a sizable part of the season. Um, I'm, I'm just want to see how it ends up. Like, I mean, could these guys be top, you know, all NBA first team, second team? I mean, I think if the season ended today, Luca would be an all NBA first team guy. The other guy probably that deserves a lot of credit and it, and they're trying to figure it out. But Donovan Mitchell has been really, really good this year as well. But hasn't I, everyone been good? <laughs> That's my problem. It's like, it feels like, it's like we talked about Madden last week and how I would try to challenge myself and keep the stats low. And it feels like we're all playing Madden on easy mode. All right. I, I'll give you this. James Harden, you get, let me ask you this. If, if there was a problem with Vada, and we could actually maybe talk to them about doing this, but if there was a problem Bovada and you could have Harden, you could have Harden or Giannis, or I'll give you one more. You can have Harden, Giannis, or one more guy of your choice. You can have Harden, Giannis, or LeBron for MVP. Would you take that or would you take the field? Harden, LeBron, Giannis. Well, I don't think LeBron. I mean, I think he's going to get a little media narrative. And I, that's he's been, one. He's been pretty awesome, to be honest. And he's been yeah, pretty good. And, and he sort of like, you know, 
you talk about like the primary and the presidential primary, like what lane are you running on and are you moderate or are you extreme? You know, LeBron's running on the, I'm a playmaker. I'm going to average 10 assists a game. And, and like, I'm the guy who helped Anthony Davis become a winner. That's the right lane to run on a campaign. You, on. you know, LeBron's uh first in the NBA in total assists, right? Yeah. I mean, I got, I thought he would try to do that. It makes sense. Yeah, um, that's, that's like his thing. LeBron, LeBron's very calculated dude, but yeah, LeBron, Malcolm Brogdon, Doncic, Harden, and then my guy, Ricky Rubio are top five in total assists. Trey Young will probably end up leading the NBA in assists. I think it's hard. It's going to be hard. I would pick those three just because I think it's going to be hard to beat Giannis this year or Harden. I, I think less so LeBron, like, you know, the whole like voter fatigue thing is a little overblown. Um, there have been multiple winners. It happens about a third of the time in the last decade or last 20 years. So I think Giannis, if he's the number one seed and he's putting up 28 and 12, I mean, how do you vote against him? Yeah. Especially because people really like Giannis. Whereas like Harden, I, I'm not going to get into like bias or whatever, but like I'm clearly biased for James Harden, but I think there's a large collection of people that don't want James Harden to be the representative of what the NBA is just because of kind of how he plays the game and kind of like what Houston is. And then LeBron is LeBron. So I would say that the media would, the only guy I could really see like coming out of left field, like Kawhi's been good. Like he's been I think that good. the media, like the narrative, like the load management has, has hurt, it's him. hurt him. It's definitely hurt him in terms of if he's the best player in the NBA, like guys are so willing to say like, Oh, he's the best player, but he only plays 60 games. So he's not the most valuable, whatever. But the media, it, I mean, it feels like, national writers i don't follow a ton of local guys on twitter i do follow an, enough to know what's going on especially for injuries and stuff but it, i mean the media like they want luka Doncic to be amazing right so if he was to average 28 10 and 8 and dallas wins 48 games he could maybe win mvp he'll get votes he'll get votes and i looked up lebron i think got some votes in his second year or third year and it's possible i think um the fact that more and more writers are like savvy with advanced stats, I think is going to help Harden. I think like, but it hasn't helped him the last couple of years, but it's helped him more than it did. What was it? Four or five years ago when they kind of got left off the ballot. Yeah. He was like the fourth best. He was like, like analytically speaking, he was probably like the third or fourth best player in the NBA. And he was like, not even an all NBA third team guy, which was like insane at the time. Cause people were like mad at him. They were like, he doesn't try, but I mean, I don't know. Where do you, where do you stand on where Luca is right now in your personal rankings? Has he, has he bumped a guy like Embiid or Jokic or somebody? I don't, I don't know that. I don't probably. Right. I mean, I always hate on Embiid's durability. Jokic, you know, quietly they're seven and three. Everyone's hating on him. Yeah, um, he hasn't been great. When he starts, starts to make jump shots, his numbers should I jump mean, drastically. Certainly for their career, you would take Doncic right now. Um, for the next ten years, for this season, would you take would you take Jokic or or Doncic? Yeah, I would take Jokic for sure. I, I mean, I think like one of the things. I mean, they both might have similar conditioning issues, although they both just play a lot of minutes anyway, so it just doesn't matter. It's it's kind of funny. Like the few guys, other than like LeBron, who's just a cyborg, the few guys who seem to be able to just play tons and tons of minutes. It's like Harden, Doncic can definitely do it. Jokic plays a lot of minutes. Like they're not in shape dudes. Like I mean, they're in shape, well, obviously. Actually, but they're not like. like I don't know if we have enough time to get into it. Like Doncic, I do worry about him wearing down over the course of his. Yeah, season. I mean, he's never played, especially if they're going to be in a playoff hunt, and he's going to have to play a lot of minutes. Now, I do think Dallas will be very smart with how they deploy him. We talk about load management for guys. Anthony Davis is sitting against Golden State on Thursday night. They already announced it. Like that's smart time to sit him. You know, they said he has rib pain, but realistically, it's like we're not going to play him against Golden State. But well, can I give you one stat? Let's just because I've fully embraced stats. Luca last year, you know he he played the short seasons in Europe and, and came over the NBA and, made, and was rumored to be a little out of shape um, before the all-star break, which is, you know, a sizable portion of the year. It's more before than after, but he shot 35% before the all-star break after the all-star break, 26% from three. And he's not shooting super well from three already. Now I could see him like eventually like getting a little worn down. I hope they, rest him and you know but maybe they can't afford to i don't know i think that's going to be the interesting thing because porzingis hasn't been great right like they've and they've struggled to integrate porzingis and luca together like luca's been really good but he's been worse with porzingis on the floor and most of their players have been worse with porzingis on the floor so i do think part of it's that he hasn't played in a long time i think he's probably a little rusty he's probably not in great game shape but i mean dallas you're right if they're in the playoff spot because like it looks like a team like san antonio is going to struggle this year which is kind of interesting as well and 
maybe we'll talk about them next week because they could trade Aldridge or DeRozan, you know, both guys with two years left on their deal and, and maybe just try to build around their young guard core and see what's from it. Or maybe they want to run it back. I don't know, but Dallas well, looks let's, like next week. Let, let's like earmark some teams that don't get a lot of, you know, everyone talks about the Knicks, but no one's really talking about the Spurs. No one's really talking about Chicago, Orlando teams that are expected to make the playoffs, but haven't really been performing so far. Right. And I, I do think as well, like, Cleveland, you're exactly right. Like they've definitely looked friskier than people thought. They were quite good last night against, or quite good on uh, Tuesday night against the Sixers. Kevin Love missed a shot at the buzzer, but they they played a game in the n- high 90s. And Tobias Harris makes 200 million dollars and shot like missed his first 10 threes last night. Not a great contract, but nobody talks <laughs> he's about the that. new JJ Redick. No, I saw the quote. Brett Brown said he's like their new JJ Redick. But also like Charlotte, you know, they've turned like it's obviously early. These teams are just four and six, but I mean, I thought Charlotte was going to win like 11 games, you know? And, and Cleveland, I do think there's still a big cliff they could fall off because I think they could trade guys. But yeah, we should talk about some teams like that next week because there are some very interesting decisions to make that are, that are coming up in the future. Well, that, that's an exciting tease, talking about teams that no one wants to talk about. Um, but the, the big, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, what's the big takeaway? Well, you don't like basketball anymore and you host a basketball podcast. That's the big takeaway. You know, I, uh, that's true. But I think the bigger takeaway is if you don't want to be like me, if you want to be hip, you want to be cool, you want to look good, you want to feel good, wrangler.com backslash underdog NBA. I'm going to have to put on my Wranglers just to feel a little better about myself now after I ranted against the NBA for so long. Also, some really good lines uh, on Bovada for title odds if you want to get into that we are getting close to where i think you can draw some conclusions like i said the clippers it'll be very interesting to see how they integrate paul george and i do we will talk about that next week but lakers look every bit as good as advertised utah looks very very good and milwaukee looks really good as well i I think that it's gonna be a fun season for sure can you wear can you wear your wrangler vest next week i want to see how that looks (laughs) all right wrangler.com backslash underdog mba Follow us on Twitter. I'm at CYS Tyler. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. Uh, my other shows create your shot. Uh, fr- we've moved the show to Fridays for the time being just uh, during the college basketball season. So we can kind of talk about things that go on during the week. You can email the show, Xander Ellison at gmail.com. Send Zan messages about how the NBA is better. And uh, Zan is, we'll be back next week. And as always, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.